This is Intertractional, an exploration of Star Trek through an intersectional feminist lens. Star Trek is both a reflection of our society and an aspiration for our future. The stories it tells shape our world. Intersectionality explores intersecting forms of oppression and how they affect individuals with compound identities. Star Trek is for feminists. How did we decide that this was pronounced? Nepenthe. Nepenthe? Yeah. The planet of forgetful pizza. (laughs) There wasn't a whole lot of forgetting. I guess it's supposed to be like a healing planet. Yeah, it seems like the traditional interpretation of it is forgetfulness from sorrow. Yeah. Which kind of tracks because they're overcoming their sorrow. (laughs) There's not a lot of forgetting, it seems like. There's not a lot of forgetting. What, What Will Wheaton was saying, a mythical cure for heartbreak and illness. They're leaning into the illness end. Right. They're leaning into the cure part rather than the, like, the cure is forgetting. Hi, Becca. Hi, Ryan. Hello, listeners. Hello. We just jumped right in. Welcome to Intertractional. We're here now. I love this episode. Yeah, it's really good. I knew you would. It got I got me mean, I was like, hard in the feels. Gonna have to really fuck up to lose Becca. Mm-hmm. It's got your favorite characters in it. Right? I'm here for this episode <laughs> in the Pente. I'm here for Riker and Deanna casually calling each other Imzadi. Oh my God. I am, yeah, the whole thing. This is the life that I would like to live. Cabin yeah. in the Woods. <laughs> You could go to there. Yeah. Like most Star Trek planets is actually California. <laughs> when we were Googling the Penthe, uh, one of the things that came up is a restaurant in Big Sur. So yeah. we could go eat there. Then we could I wonder visit if they make that, pizza. that rock. Vasquez Rock. The Vasquez Rock. <laughs> yeah, we just, we're just going to do like the our oh own God. version of the Picard tour of California. Yeah, no. And then we could go to the two different vineyards that are Chateau Picard. Yes. Oh my god, okay. Now I'm having an idea of like we lead this like tour for our listeners. Oh no, I am yes. Okay, write to us if you're nearby and you wanna go on this tour with us this summer. Yeah. Like a really random, we go to a couple wineries, we go to Big Sur and eat at this random restaurant that may not even be good. And And like it's like two days. It's like a two day trip. Yeah. Um, I'm gonna do it. It'll be cheaper than Star Trek Las Vegas Mm -hmm. uh, with less likelihood of getting coronavirus. Oh my god. Oh, coronavirus panic. I've been th- I've been thinking about this. Like, so Beverly Crusher would cure the coronavirus in like 5 hours. Truth. Dr. McCoy would get blamed for creating the coronavirus even <laughs> though he actually tried to cure it. <laughs> and then would break the prime directive to cure individuals. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. The Voyager doctor would insist that he had to go down himself and use his mobile emitter to cure it in person even right. though it's totally unnecessary well but also he's immune so he has a superpower yes yes, yes. but uh, then he would like re-expose the crew ah <laughs> uh, yes what would dr flox do dr flox would cure it by incubating the vaccine in his bats yes or one of his and some of one of his animals. weird animal friends yes that's yes correct mm. uh Cool, cool, cool. So let's get into it, Nepenthe. So we start out three weeks ago at Daystrom, Okinawa. And we're back with Aggie listening to her opera. And then up walks Commodore. Oh, 
I'm so curious about Commodore O because I'm 100% convinced that she's a Southern Hemisphere Romulan. Right. But apparently she can do mind melds. I think that we can still believe that she's a Romulan and that we can also believe that Romulans can develop the ability to do mind melds because of their shared ancestry with Vulcans. Cool. That's right. my headcanon. That's all I needed to hear. We're good now. Um, <laughs> but she's she's definitely like confirmed, like Michael Chabon winked at this on his Instagram. Someone was like, uh, Vulcans have extra eyelids and don't need sunglasses. And he's like, what therefore would you conclude by the fact that she's wearing sunglasses, which is pretty clearly like, yes, she is not a Vulcan. Yeah, I feel like that's what he was trying to hint at. She mind melds with Aggie and delivers this like, doomsday prophecy yeah it's like this is what will happen if synthetic life forms are allowed to live and it's just like a lot of planets blowing up and she vomits right (laughs) is this a memory or is it a prediction and the reason that i ask that is that my understanding of how mind melds work is that you can share memories And I'm wondering if this is like some memory that's been passed down from Romulan to Romulan for like millennia, or if it's somehow like a prediction that that feels so real. I remember you from the future. I met you tomorrow. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Weird. Right? So I feel feel like there's going to be some like time travel stuff. But yeah. But also it's like, it's this kind of time travel thing where your actions make the thing that you believe is going to happen inevitable. But if you believed differently, then you could see a different outcome. Okay. So you you think that they're creating like a a causality paradox. That the actions that they're engaged in of uh, like hunting and killing all synthetic life is somehow like actually the thing that causes this catastrophe or Armageddon. So I keep hinting that I'm thinking about the finale of The Next Generation while watching this show, Mm -hmm. which features Picard ending all humanity through a paradox. Right. And Q is involved. And basically in trying to prevent the end of all humanity, Picard causes it. But then catches himself also with the help of Q and uh, undoes it. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, And then at the end of that episode, Q is like, the trial never ends, Picard. We'll keep watching you. Mm. And there is a rumor that Q's going to come back. Ah! uh, Which is not, which seems bizarre, but I think it's like not totally bizarre um i mean he has such a fixation on picard it makes it would make sense for that reason alone i was thinking originally that it didn't tonally fit with Mm. this show and then we went to space vegas right and i'm like okay well goofy shit is allowed back in at this point i mean i hope i fucking hope that we can have some goofy shit because all of this everything is so serious all the time it just Mm -hmm. doesn't feel right to me as yeah. we all know, I am like a fan of camp. So bring yeah, back John Delancey, camp master. Yeah. Uh, somebody asked Shabbat Chabin if they were going to bring back a d- digitally de-aged John Delancey. Mm. And he didn't answer, but he was just like, why when his current face is so great? <laughs> yes. <laughs> and then also in Picard's dream sequence in the first episode, the hand he has 
is like five queens and you just see like Q, 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 Q. And I was like, oh, it's Q. There are other theories to what that can mean, but this is my pet theory since I want John Delancey to come back. Yes. Just one other thought about this scene. Please. Is that the mind meld that Commodore O administers to Aggie does not seem consensual. Oh, no. We talked about how mind melds might be sex or might be rape. There is definitely an episode of Enterprise that posits that mind melds are intimate and they should only be done consensually. There's also a very long history of Spock doing them to anyone at any point, whether they say yes or not. True. And I don't like to think of Spock as a rapist, Mm. but... Definitely, if you're going to put violent images into someone's head, you should get their consent. Yeah. So go back and listen to our episode, Mind Rape is Still Rape, if you want more detail about how we feel about that stuff. Yeah. Content warning. That episode deals with rape. It does. We also talk a lot about like uh, medical rape, and we use very gendered language in it. So just, you know, be warned for those things, but definitely check out that episode. It's one of our favorites. Yeah. Yeah. What I, what I think is interesting about uh, this scene is that it sort of sets the tone for this episode. We're going to have like a lot of scenes where women are talking to each other, mm-hmm, which we mm-hmm. haven't had a ton of in this series. I think the last episode did a bit too, but they're finally breaking away from having every conversation between a man and a woman. Mm-hmm. Oh, one of the things that I wanted to mention about the last episode, so Rafi like contacts a friend of hers to get clearance for Picard and... That um, scene is an interaction between two women of color, which is extra rare. And I just didn't even call it out. So they're still talking about a man, but... Yeah, good to have that scene. Um, Even if Dr. Nashala is still missing. Yep. Maybe Mm. she'll help take over the Borg cube. Ooh, interesting. Or maybe the actress got fired. (laughs) I don't know. At this point, my faith that she'll return is low and I'm bummed. So we have some space race stuff going on. Yeah. Uh, La Serena is stuck in a tractor beam. <laughs> I titled this scene La Serena in bondage. <laughs> <laughs> Appropriate. Uh, this whole, I, I loved this. I love Star Wars. This whole thing felt very Star Wars to me. Like mm. there's like a, a lone guy chasing them. It felt very like um, there's like a TIE fighter ch- chasing the Millennium Falcon. Mm-hmm. Um, they're repeatedly trying to dodge him. They're going in and out of light speed. It's it's very um, and Empire Strikes Back, the best Star Wars film. <laughs> um, yes. Thankfully, Narek doesn't speak in this episode much. Right. He just fondles like a version of his impossible box. Yeah. Well, like with one hand, he's like fondling the impossible box. And like with the other hand, he's like piloting inter- a ship and hunting inter- down La Serena. Yeah, look, yeah, looking broody. Um, mm-hmm. I was into it. I, I like him as like a silent villain. He's pretty as long as he keeps his mouth shut. Yeah. <laughs> his sister runs around the ship terrorizing people. Oh my god. I am so sad because the because she just like firing squads all of the XBs and Hugh's heartbroken. Was it all of them? Or, it was like it, it was like all it was of like them in the room. I don't know how many there actually are. There's probably a lot that are still okay. Yeah, but it's I'm like I'm invested massacre. in these guys as a people. And the only reason that she doesn't kill Hugh in that moment is because he's protected as a member of the Federation from, like, you know, getting dead. But the rest of the XBs aren't somehow. Yeah, I don't think that they're Federation citizens. Yeah. They're just, I don't think they're anyone's citizens. I think, yeah, I think they're very in limbo beings. And now maybe they're just going to be killed without with impunity. So yeah, one of the things... Sucks. 
I did like from the scene is that there's like a moment where Hugh and Elnor clasp hands and the like Picard theme plays triumphantly and it's just such a beautiful moment yeah and makes what happens later in this episode extra devastating Elnor is like I am here to help you he very quickly decides that like this was unjust you seem like an underdog and then like we quickly cut back to our heroes who are trying to get away from the board queue mm-hmm. figuring out where they're going to go next and like the triumphant music continues and i very much have the sense of like all these characters who are not picard have now coalesced into a team right and uh there is like this camaraderie among them and they all feel like they're in this mission together even though it's not really their mission and it's kind of heartwarming and i'm Glad to see that happen. Mm-hmm. Um, it reminds me of something that you said while we weren't recording, which is like this all could have happened like three episodes sooner. Yeah. <laughs> which would have been nice. Yeah. But. I'm like, this really felt like the coming together or the formation of everything. It actually felt like movement, mm-hmm. whereas mm-hmm. a lot of this season so far has felt like treading water. It's interesting because the pace of the individual episodes are very fast. Like we go quickly between scenes. There's like a lot of cuts. It feels like there's a lot of action. A lot of information is hurtled at you. And then at the end of the episode, you're like, what happened? Right. Like two things. Right. Which in in contrast to this episode where like a lot of what happens is that they sit around and talk and eat dinner. Yeah. I think it's good evidence that you don't need big set piece action scenes to actually have story yeah and i like i think this is one of my complaints about modern television and and cinema is that we have somehow bought in collectively to this idea that like big epic action scenes are what drives story when in fact it's the dialogue and the conversation that happens around them that's yeah. where the story actually takes place. Yeah. One of the things that we were talking about as we were prepping for this episode is just the character of Elnor. Um, he's I we I love him. We love him. Um, the actor, his name is Evan Evagora. Um, and he is from New Zealand and part Maori and so beautiful. Yeah, he was a model before this. Yeah, he has like just this sharp angles of his face. And when he doesn't have his Romulan eyebrow makeup on, his eyebrows are like giving me life. I don't even know. He's like 23 also. So I love how I love how it's like intertractional. Like we're going to talk about like hardcore feminist analysis about like identity politics. And like, actually, we just do like a lot of thirst ranting. <laughs> hey, <laughs> actors in Star Trek. Part of my feminism is based on we need equal objectification of men and women. As well, a, we as should a, as a bisexual, I fully endorse this. Yes. Like the the thing that we're doing wrong isn't objectifying women specifically. It's just that we only objectify women. That's the thing that's wrong. So, yeah. equal opportunity. I just want to give voice to the other perspective, which is that we shouldn't be objectifying anyone. Sure. And we should treat everyone like people and not objects, although maybe people who we sometimes want to have sex with in our fantasies. Yeah. I don't know. That is a feminist perspective that I often don't um, follow. Yeah. I, don't I feel know. like I give voice to that a lot. And then like my actual behavior is that I objectify everyone equally. If you have that view, we respect you. And I mean, the problem with objectification. If this offends you, you probably stopped listening to us like a season ago. I don't know. 
Yeah, I feel like we've been thirsty this whole time. Yeah. The thing about objective is single, by the way. (laughs) Available. Oh, what I was gonna say about the the problem of objectification is when you also make it that that person is not a person. I like to be objectified. I appreciate being appreciated for the beautiful body that I'm in. Fashion goddess that you are. Thank you. Yes. Um, That's only okay when whoever's doing that to me also understands and recognizes my humanity and engages with me in a way that like makes it clear that we are peers. Or your 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 Romulananity. Yeah, what humanoid anity? Human, hum, yes. Exactly. How do we bring this into track? We're getting back into track because we were talking about He's Elnor. He did a great say. job, even in this, these very brief moments interacting with Hugh. You can really get that they have formed a bond. Sister Romulan spy is growing on me. Mm. I like that after she summarily executes those XBs just to torture Hugh, she's like, I'm bored. <laughs> yeah, well, she's finally getting to do what she actually has wanted to do this whole time, which is just like kill a whole lot of people. Yeah, yeah, like be violent, take charge. Like she doesn't have to argue with her brother anymore. She She's not being like humiliated by Commodore O. She's finally in her element. She's in charge as like queen of the board cube. Mm-hmm. And we're left to wonder, is she the queen that they were referring to in the last episode, the Romulan queen that's in charge now? In spirit, she is for this episode. Then we go to our credits. I'm really into the theme. For a while, I was like, does this feel Trek enough? I really think it's a beautifully written piece of music. Now that it's kind of showing up more inside the episodes, too, I'm like, yeah, whoever whoever's writing this music, you're doing a good job. What happens next is we are on Nepenthe. Picard and Soji appear after having been transported, but not the... The spatial trajector. Spatial trajector. Thank you. And then they are spotted by this girl who has a bow and arrow and she's like, stop thieves. What are you doing in my woods? Yeah, and it seems like they might actually be in danger from this small child until Picard is like, I know your name. Are we actually in danger? And she's like, no, Uncle Jean-Luc. So this is Kestra. Kestra is Riker and Troy's daughter. Yeah, and she's named after Troy's deceased sister, which Luaxana told us about in one episode of TNG one time. The name fits this this little girl who's got apparently your haircut <laughs> from when you were 10 years old. It's like exactly my haircut. <laughs> um, she appears a little bit like she's cosplaying a Native American in a way that we haven't seen children do since the 1950s Yeah, in a way that's sort of appropriative and uh, offensive, except that apparently that's not what she's doing. Mm, yeah, she's like embraced living as the wild girl of the woods. Yes, she's cosplaying a character in some world that her brother invented mm-hmm. um, in a way that looks very Native American television from the 1950s looking. Yeah. Um, so this, it feels at once like she's living this kind of wholesome, like non-video game, like children play outside kind of life. And mm-hmm. I feel like that's possibly one reason for this costume and she knows how to use the bow and arrow mm-hmm. and killed some sort of venomous creature that they're going to put on their pizza that they call a bunnicorn. <laughs> 
I really hope it's a bunny unicorn. Like, it's a bunny unicorn. It's a bunny unicorn. Oh, also, Picard, like, finally reminds us that he has a mechanical heart. Oh, yeah. um, Because he's like, if you're going to shoot me, shoot me in the head, because this heart's made mostly of whatever the metal it is that it's made out of. Space future metal. Right. Uh, Kestra says, well, I wouldn't actually ever do that because I'm a pacifist. I like to believe that in that moment, he's trying to get us to remember Q. Because mm-hmm. the only episode that we learn about his mechanical heart is an episode where Q leads him on like a It's a Wonderful Life Christmas episode. Like, right. what would your past have been like if you yes. didn't have a mechanical heart kind of situation? Yeah. I really love all of the things that are happening on Nepenthe. Yeah. Picard continues to be kind of a douchebag. He fucks up several times. He's like, it's just like very casually like, oh yeah, your sister's dead. Oh yeah, you're an android. When she's very newly grappling with all this information and he's handling it with the sensitivity of like a sledgehammer. (laughs) Yeah, I felt like he was trying a little bit to be sensitive, but he also uses Kestra's curiosity to get to this like maybe sooner than he would have liked or not in the context that he would have liked. But he's like, you really need to know this, Soji, so I'm going to tell you. And Soji's just sitting here being like, I don't believe anybody. I could be in a simulation for all I know right now. Like my boyfriend turns out to be a spy and I'm not real. None of this is real. Which is a very rational reaction. The events of the last 24 hours have been like really crazy. Her mom put her to sleep. All of her photos are fake. She punched a hole through the ground. Her boyfriend tried to kill her. Then she was like whisked away to like a magical forest planet where like a small (laughs) child dressed as a Native American but not like started asking her questions. Right. Like I would think that I was a sleeper on drugs. Right. Yes. Yes. Like, even if she didn't have to deal with, like, these really big issues, like, the last 24 hours or even eight hours of her life have been insane. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, enough to destabilize literally anyone, and doubly so somebody who's, like, eight hours ago thought that she was a human being, and now is, like, discovering that she's not even that. So then, uh, then we get to the house where Riker and Deanna live together, and we see Deanna first, and she's in her classic blue, and she has these gardening gloves, it's so cute, and my heart broke. Because she's immediately like, Picard, you're not okay. And he's like, I'm a f- I'm fine, I'm fine. And she's like, no, you're not. Yeah, like she knows with like all of her magic empath powers and like her face is just showing so much sorrow and empathy and pain in a way that we haven't really seen him show. Yeah. Like he's been kind of shoving his feelings down and having angry outbursts. Mm-hmm. Um, and she's just like reflecting back to him all the stuff that he's not dealing with. And it's beautiful. Yeah, it's really it's it's what's been missing for me from this show in a lot of ways that she is such an emotional center of the story of Picard as, you know, the captain of the Enterprise or whatever, just as a person mm-hmm. that having not had her around He's not expressive of his feelings, especially when he's in pain. And um, I don't know. It it reminded me like what the magic of the next generation really is. And it's about these people being together. Yeah. And it reminded him, Mm -hmm. too. Like he's coming back to two of his best friends, his like found family, his longtime co-workers and crewmates, 
and they see that he's different and they bring him back to himself Mm -hmm. in a way that we've been waiting for. Yeah. And like just their reunions. I mean, these actors know each other so well and it's clear that they're so they're just like inside so joyous to be working together again and what they're what they created in this episode i yeah i was in tears um possibly one of my favorite things in this entire series is our introduction to will Riker, pizza maven yeah (laughs) he's like working on a pizza in his kitchen listening to jazz yes I feel like every dream that I had as a small child of like their eventual like happy life together is yeah. just happening in this moment yeah. and I'm so here oh, for right. it. You were shipping them really really hard. So, so this is like the payoff. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Before I even really had any idea about what sex is, I was like I want I just care about these two and then being together and like, you know. We also see Kestra interacting with Soji alone. Mm. Um both in this next scene in like her childhood bedroom and like throughout the episode. Yeah. And Kestra really like teaches Soji who Data was. Wait, why would Data want to make an android with mucus and saliva? Well, he was always trying to be more human. He could do all these these amazing things, but all he ever really wanted to do was like have dreams and tell jokes and like Learn how to ballroom dance. Are you like that? And she has like this encyclopedic knowledge of her parents' dead friend. And like, she's like, this is what the Enterprise was. This is who Data was. And it just felt like, sorry. No, tell your story. It's really good. Um, so my aunt died when I was a small child, so Mm. I didn't know her that well, but I am like an expert on her. Mm. Mm -hmm. I could, if I met someone today, I could tell you so many things about my aunt Judy and about what she was like and about the things she liked and didn't like and the things she was good at and not good at and what her relationship was like with my parents and my family. And that is just a natural thing that happened growing up in a family that was mourning a person who wasn't there who wanted to honor that person Hmm. and it seems so real to me that this child would know everything about lieutenant commander data it was just like that is completely what would happen it felt so resonant and yeah yeah Sorry. No, it's okay. I'm like tearing up. Getting real and intertractional. I am like... Um, This show is so well... This episode in particular is really well written, I think. Yeah, I think they did a really great job. And like the... Like, I think finally the pain of losing data is like realized. Yeah. It's been suppressed for most of this series and like I don't think we really dealt with it at all after Nemesis. I mean like Nemesis has so many issues right. and it was such a long time ago. But he really left a big hole in the lives of these people and like Yeah. I don't know. We love them so much. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, what do you it's you know probably just, you know, Deanna Troy, but I I think it's notable how Data's memory lives in this family unit and how it lives in Jean-Luc Picard. Yeah. It's such a huge difference between these people who are honoring him 
and uh, this person who's haunted by his death. Yeah. And I think the difference is that Picard has taken on so much responsibility for that sacrifice that Data made um, that he hasn't like he hasn't been able to embrace the memory of it because he's so like he's like this is my fault and it's a different it's just a different way to mourn somebody he can't be he's not taking the time to embrace the life that data had i think you know speculation because he's so remorseful about the way that he died yeah yeah and it's also like if we are to take anything about what these Romulans think seriously, that synthetic life forms could lead to the end of everything. Mm. Watching these people talk about data is like, no, no. Yeah, there was it, no just, way that would ever be the yeah. like end result of his existence. Yeah, and that she was created from him. I want to be open to the idea that we don't know where the show is going and we don't know who's right and who's wrong. Mm-hmm. But it just seems impossible knowing Data the way we do and the way these characters do that that would be the inevitable outcome of synthetic life. Right. Well, it goes back to what I was saying earlier about them like causing this by being so anti-synth that they just feel the need to murder them all the time. And like... Even almost certainly the Tal Shiar or the Shat Vash had something to do with the synth attack on Mars that resulted in the like evacuation of the Romulans not happening. They were willing to sacrifice hundreds of millions of their own people in order to not be close to synthetics. It really speaks to the power of this, like, of this hatred, of the idea that... And fear. That they're blinded to... They're blinded to any other thing being possible. hmm And so, yeah, and so my, my theory is that they're just going to be causing the thing that they believe is inevitable by doing all this work to stop the thing that is inevitable. Eh. Well, hopefully we'll... We'll get some, like, classic uh, Enterprise, Voyager, um, temporal prime directive breaking and undo whatever bad happens. (laughs) Yeah, let's hope. Let's hope. Um, Another thing that we learn is that Deanna and Will had a son. Yeah. Who is no longer alive. And Kestra's living as this wild girl of of the woods in part because her brother is the one who invented this world that she's inhabiting and apparently her brother was had this illness that could have been cured had synthetics with positronic brains it was like like a silicone-based virus which i vaguely remember has cropped up in trek before Mm -hmm. but in order to develop a cure you need a positronic matrix which has been outlawed right and so we see other like much more personal downstream effects of the outlawing of synthetic life after Kestra sort of softens up Soji, Deanna really tries to draw her out and like help her explore her feelings. And you're reminded of her her past as a ship's counselor. And Soji is just, I mean, it's everything you were saying before. And she explains it all to her, but she's just like freaking the fuck out. And the events of what just happened with her ex-boyfriend um, traumatized her. Mm-hmm. And it's so sad. Fucking Dr. Fuckboy. Like, this is such a 
I mean, it was he obviously he was doing it because he's a spy and like out to hunt down all of the synths. And so but like just the emotional wreckage of having put her through that is so upsetting. And yeah. Ah. And I don't think that the show intends for this to be, like, a metaphor for abusive relationships, but Mm. it's, like, hard for me not to project that onto this character. Yeah. Um, And then Picard shows up and just smashes all the progress that Deanna has made to pieces (laughs) by, like, meeting her legitimate concerns with sarcasm. You bring me to this beautiful place, surround me with warm, friendly people and good food and... Torture you? Destroy you? Yeah, you're right. All this is an elaborate plot. Yeah, he is. He's so unsmooth in this. I don't know if he's dumb because he's 93 or (laughs) because he's not around his friends anymore or because he's become this arrogant version of himself or Mm. he's just so caught up in his mission. He's like, I've been trying to find you and save you for weeks. So like, oh, yeah, I'm the bad guy. But it's like it was so clumsy. And Mm -hmm. Deanna just like hands his ass to him. She's like she just calls him on it. And she's like, this is not the way to win back her Soji's trust. And like, what are you even doing? Get out of here. Go make some pizza, which turns out to be a good thing because Picard and, and Riker really needed to catch up. Yeah. And Picard's being cagey with information for no apparent good reason. And Riker very sagely explains to him, yeah, if only ignorance of danger were enough to prevent our families from being in danger. Yeah, yeah, I think I think he's right. It's like Picard doesn't want them to be like questioned for information later, like the less you know, the better. But it's like, okay, he knows the people who are after them just like show up and and kill people before they ask any questions. So I don't know how that's going to protect anybody. It's not. It's not going to protect anybody. Ignorance almost never protects people. And it's like trying to keep them in the dark is just going to make it harder for them to make decisions for themselves about how to keep themselves safe. And also, like, Picard believing that Riker couldn't piece together, like, oh, you're you're asking us to scan for cloaks. Well, that's clearly a Romulan thing. He's not, he's not dumb. Yeah. Like, how did Picard think that he could keep this information to himself? He's just really arrogant. He thinks that all of his plans will work, even though he barely has any plans. I really like, I think this episode is sort of doing what I've been wanting for a while, which is just to give Picard his comeuppance mm-hmm. and be like... Be the good captain that we remember. Yeah, he really needed to to hear it from people that he, like, sees as having been there at the time of his life when he was actually doing what he wanted to be doing and, like, succeeding. Riker calls him on his, like, classic Picard arrogance. And Deanna's like, where is the compassionate, patient, curious captain that we expect you to be? Mm -hmm. Like, they're just like, this isn't who you are. Uh, we have seen you at your best, like, come back. Yeah. And I love this sort of, like, counterintuitive gender um, reversal. The two of them uh, come at him with, like, Deanna being the bad cop and Mm. Riker being the good cop. Like, Deanna just, like, shouts at him and Riker's like, let me tell you how to talk to teenagers. Yes. It's so great. I love it. I mean, like, yeah. Soji is hardly a teenager, but she's somewhere between, like, she's supposed to be 23, but she's actually three. So I guess they just, like, averaged it out. (laughs) They're like, yeah, she's going, she's a moody teenager going through stuff. And okay, sure. 
it works as well as anything. It does make the relationship with uh, Dr. Fuckboy even grosser, though, yeah. if she's really a teenager rather than a, a grown woman. Mm-hmm. Ugh, fuck that yeah, guy. Yeah, although I, I want to give Soji her agency. I, I want to think that she can make her own decision. Like, he, it's gross because he knows things that she doesn't know. I, I think that she is... Uh, an individual who has her own sexuality and like can consent to relationships. And I don't like this viewpoint that crops up in like second wave feminism of like women never being able to consent because like they inherently have less power. I think Mm. that that's just, I don't know. I'm very, I'm a very sex positive feminist. So I, I find that whole perspective itself kind of upsetting. Oh yeah, no, I agree with that. I think that like, denying that women desire sex and like can have agency in the like the intercourse (laughs) using that word in a couple ways um is yeah i mean it's 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 another way to deny full humanity to women Mm -hmm. like yeah no throw that out yeah. We don't need that. Yeah, I'm reminded I was listening to a podcast recently and somebody quoted Gloria Steinem or like quoted an interview with her where she was asked like after getting married at age 60, like why now? Uh-huh. And she said that she needed to change the institution of marriage in order to get married. Huh. Which was a lot of the work of her life, right? Yeah. So all of this. G-L-O-R-I-A. So should we go back to La Serena and check in on... What is happening on, on La Serena? Narek's in pursuit. Uh, Aggie wants to go home. Yeah. Yeah. Talking about people unraveling. Aggie is freaking the fuck out <sighs> yeah. in her own way. Um, because we know now that she's being like biochemically tracked. Uh-huh. That she had to eat some sort of blue triangle so that the Romulans... <laughs> Which had to th- be chewed, very important detail. Or, you know, so she thought Starfleet would track her. Uh-huh. And uh, mm. they now realize that this Romulan guy is tracking them. And they're like, how is he following us? Maybe he's tracking someone. And it's slowly dawning on her that it's her. Mm-hmm. And that... If they follow Picard, it will lead to the destruction of Soji, which she has started to doubt is a good idea. Yeah, I think that she's like, I think that she still has this base desire of meeting Soji, meeting the synthetic life form that her now dead ex created and like is very much in conflict with this implanted memory slash prediction about the, you know, Armageddon that Mm -hmm. synthetic life forms are supposedly going to bring about. And so her solution is to like try to convince Rios and Rafi to just abandon Picard to like not go after him, which in a sense would protect him from discovery. So it's like not a bad tactic it's just that like she's or at least delay yeah she doesn't know all the other things that are at play true um but yeah they at least wouldn't catch him at nepenthe but so she's clearly freaking out and rafi's solution is to offer her cake 
Yeah. At first we think we thought that cake was like a metaphor for something else, but it's literally she's feeding her cake. I think she was going to give her alcohol. She's like, let Dr. Rafi fix you up. And she's like, can it be cake? And she's like, oh, okay. You're like an adult five-year-old. Sure. It's cake. We can get you cake. The cake is real. The cake is not a lie. Um, she has no poker face and people are slowly trying to figure they almost have it and they don't like Rafi's like, the closer we get to this person you want to meet, the less you want to find her. And must be because you're you watched your boyfriend die. Yeah, it's like they, they keep getting so close, yeah. both of them, and they, they don't quite figure it out. She stress pukes again for mm-hmm. the second time in this episode. And it's very gross. Yeah, it's as gross as that eyeball getting ripped out. It looks like she's vomiting blood, but it's just... It's red velvet cake, apparently. I mean, like, who wouldn't throw up after eating, like, four giant pieces of cake along with what is apparently at least two glasses of chocolate milk? Like, that's a whole lot of dairy to bomb your gut with all at once. Yeah, I was really hoping that Rafi was trying to draw the truth out of her, but it seems like she's sort of vacillating between grilling her and comforting her. Yeah, and... I think everybody's just really bought into Aggie's innocence. Like she has a face where she looks like she's not, she can't hide anything because she really can't. Um, But then everybody's just attributing more angelic motives to her than she, than she's actually carrying. Yeah. Um, Like Rafi doesn't even pick up when she's like, oh, thank you for doing this for me. You're such a good person. Um, And Rafi's like, no, I'm not. I'm more like the wreckage of a good person. Which she clearly identifies with. The casting is so, like, she's this blonde-haired, blue-eyed person. And it's, like, it's very, like, a gendered racial kind of innocence. Like, this trope of, like, the blonde woman being good. Very much so. The, sh- the show itself isn't endorsing that by making her a complicated character, but it's at play here and everyone trusting her. Right. Uh, Rafi and... Uh, Rios. Rios, Crystal Ball. <laughs> uh, slowly start to turn on each other. Crystal yeah. Ball's like, maybe, maybe the Romulans are tracking her. She got off the ship. Yeah. I got off the ship. Let's take a little break and then talk about that more after. Oh, yeah. Okay. This isn't something a ship's counselor is supposed to say, but you had it coming. Easy there, Imzadi. Do you have any idea what that young woman's been through? What she's going through now? What the Romulans did to her? To you, the idea that all this could be some kind of subterfuge or simulation is preposterous. But to her, it would be more of the same. You know you're real. But she has no reason to believe that. She has no reason to believe that she herself is real. Her capacity to trust was a flaw in her programming. And we're back. Welcome back. We're still drinking Earl Grey. (laughs) Correct. Okay, so we were about to talk about how Rios and Rafi now, or Rios especially, is now starting to suspect Rafi. Yeah, which I also, like, I also wanted that to be a play to get Aggie to confess, but he was serious, and it's like... He's whatever the male version of dickmatized is. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Where they hooked up, and now he's like, she's can do no wrong. It must be the only other person that's here. Yeah, clearly she's innocent, and his friend who he's known for like 20 or 30 years is like the one he should doubt. It is very unclear how, what their, like, history, Rafi and Rios' history is. His argument is 
relatively sound, though, which is that she's the one who got off the ship at Free Cloud and like was all weird afterwards. He can't really see the possibility that Aggie's been a plant the whole time. Yeah. Oh, I keep wanting her to confess and redeem herself. Um, she kind of redeems herself. She tries to kill herself. My my question is, is dying actually going to allow for her to no longer be tracked? I don't know. My fan wanking at the moment is that as a scientist, even though she's not that kind of scientist, she must know or understand something about this bio tracker mm. and thinks that killing herself would shut it off. Yes. She does manage to shut it off by putting herself into a coma with a replicated hypospray. Mm. We cut back to Dr. Fuckboy and he's like looking at the map and then he's like in Romulan. He's like, damn. Mm. I mean, I assume that he said damn. The Whatever, EMH sci-fi. finally shows up. <laughs> I was finally. just like shouting at the screen. Like she's like foaming at the mouth. She's falling over. She's having another psychological emergency. And Rios is about to tell Rafi that he suspects her of being tracked mm-hmm. when the EMH is like Aggie's in a coma. Right. That's where we're at with those folks. It feels like there's a missing scene or like I missed something because then they start corresponding with Picard again and are like on their way to Nepal. Right. Yeah. Somehow they finally get him on the comms. It feels like something was cut. So we're back to the Borg cube and Elnor and Hugh are united and they're trying to like flee for their lives, except for how they're going to flee is fuzzy. Um, But they're being hunted by sister incest. Yeah. They're going to use some more Borg tech that he just remembered. Oh, I think they were trying to get back to the queen room. Yeah. They yeah. Get back that to the queen makes room. sense. And then he's like, we're going to take over the cube. This is the time for revolution because things have gone to shit. And that's when evil sister walks in and she's like, oh, thank you for saying that in my earshot. Now I can kill you. And so fight breaks out. Elnor kills basically everybody that comes after him except for her. And in the process of this fight, she gets a knife, which she hurls at uh, Hugh and stabs him in the neck. And um, and it's so I'm so bummed. I was so happy that Hugh and the actor Jonathan Dal Arco were on this. And I was like ready for him to be like a regular character and now he's dead and yes it's emotional and yes it's like i think gonna be motivating for elnor and yet we're just we're in the world of like good stories take risks and kill characters yeah we are not in the world of 90s like our core characters can never ever die unless they're getting fired (laughs) and like things will not be the same at the end of the episode Mm -hmm. and i think it's hard as a trek fan sometimes because like one of the reasons you like a show like that is it's reassuring right by the end of this episode they're going to solve everything and everything will go back to normal and i can predict who's going to be here next week and we are in that universe but we are not of that universe anymore right we have left the only red shirts die world and yeah. we're in the people that you care about also die world. Also, no one wears red in this world for some reason. It's, it's, it's <laughs> <That's> true. <me>. <laughs> um, so in this scene, we get a hint that the Jatvash and the Kawat Milat have been 
at war or something akin to war for a long time. That's what I inferred from Sister Incest mentioning like this is not how the Koat Milat and the Jatvash usually fight. And then she and Elnor like mutually put down their weapons and start hand-to-hand combat. Yeah. So I'm doing a lot of headcanoning about how this like ancient battle or ancient feud and these two forces have potentially been driving in the shadows the Romulan culture for a long time. Yeah, I kind of love it. I like it too. I'm into the world building that's happening within the like a Romulan like culture and hierarchy. I'm feeling it. Yes. And I'm really like that we didn't revisit Dr. Fuckboy and oh Sister Incest's like creepy gross relationship. Yeah, I'm so over that. Yeah, so Hugh has a really sad death scene, and yeah. he, he falls into that trope of, like, in my last dying breath, I'm going to tell you how to complete our mission. What he says was, you need an XB to activate the spatial transponder in the queen room. So now Elnor has his mission to rescue at least one XB. Yes. And somehow it appears to him the, like, little chip that Seven handed off oh. as her, like, calling card. Yeah. It's unclear to me how... It gets it like to be there. It's a, yeah, it's like on a keychain or a necklace like, or something. It's like where did this Christmas w- ornament? Like, was it? Did Hugh have it? Hugh must have had it. Yeah, I mean, maybe he got it from Seven when she was on the ship. Maybe I don't know, but it's definitely her. Yes, because it says Fenris Ranger. Yes. I am very glad that she's coming back again. Can't wait for next week when we get more seven ass kicking. I'm doing like a silent dance. Yes. Seven of nine. She's coming back. Voyager back again. <laughs> should we should we go back to the pizza party? Yes. Family dinner time. It's I I just want to live this life. This is the life that I want to live. I have decided I want to go in the woods. I want to have lots of candles on my dinner table. I want pizza. We can make pizza. (laughs) What are you doing tomorrow? (laughs) Yeah. 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 It's a a very sweet. Yeah. There are like a hundred candles on this table. Uh, Either Troy or Riker is like, you got to pretend like this is the ready room and we're all going to sit around the conference table and you got to be that Picard. And we see a more patient, more gentle Picard. Um, A lot of the conversation is still led by baby Troy Riker. Kestra. And we see Soji finally explain what happened last episode and how the Tal Shiar knows where to go next. Like dancing around well like well should we make a plan should we not make a plan we don't even know where to go we have to like figure out where that planet is and Kestra's like i know where it is i asked my friend who i keep talking about <laughs> like so this other character is going to show up soon we're getting a captain crandall from out of nowhere apparently like no matter how quaint their life is now you can still text at the dinner table <laughs> <laughs> yes gen z bring in the Bring in the realness. What else do you think about the scene? Um, I don't know. A lot of it we talked about already where Troy and Riker are calling Picard on his bullshit. Um, the, the, they talk more about Commander Data. God, Picard teaches her. Picard tells her about Dosh. 
Yes. And then she's like, I don't trust you. And he teaches her how to trust him by using her android senses the way Data would. Right. He, like, walks her through it. He's like, look at the dilation of my pupils. Look at my heart rate. Like, am I sweating? I forget the other thing. But he's like, he, like, leads her through, like, a biometric analysis of him. And Mm -hmm. she's like, you believe that you're telling the truth. Mm-hmm. Which is something that he knows about from his experience with working da- with data. With data, yeah, that's right. I had forgotten that as part of the scene. Yeah, it's really, it's really good. And she's, I mean, she's so savvy though because she knows the difference between somebody believing that they're telling the truth and right. what is the actual truth. Yeah, and he's like reassuring her that he's there to protect her, that he's not going to let anything happen to her, and it's like he can't really know that and also he was there when her sister died yeah he explains why data was important to him Mm. and he does a very short version of like you had to have been created from a remnant of him i think that you're right about like can she trust him he keeps endangering other people although she surely would be dead by now it's true. If he hadn't helped her get off the ship. Right. They need each other and it's going to be a kind of a rocky road for them to actually form the kind of bond that Picard really wants to have with her, which is interesting because Dodge found him, right? And yeah. Dodge was like, my everything inside me tells me to trust you, um, but somehow Soji arrives at a very different conclusion. And I think a lot of it is due to what her experience was with Narek just now. Yeah. Oh, another thing that I thought about this scene was Picard mentioned something about how he's been living in the chateau. He's been haunted by his past and he's been like kind of just biding time waiting to have a mission and a purpose again. In this scene and in this dialogue, he confirms a lot of what we've been speculating about his his recent history of, like, just really wallowing, which is a real, like, parallel to being depressed or, like, suffering from mental illness. Absolutely. Yeah. I don't know if that's a really a reason why Soji should believe him, mm. but he's basically trying to say... Like, you are my purpose now, and that's why you should trust me, because I'm, like, dedicating myself to that cause. Right. Um, I wish he had a more altruistic reason for doing this. I still feel like he's super focused on himself. I think it's, I mean, yeah, but it's also all wrapped up in his relationship with Data and, like, the remorse that he feels about having lost him in that way. Um, I still want to see him do right by Rafaela and... By Rios and by this crew. Yes. um, And by Elnor. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And in general, by all these people he's like brought along on this journey. Which earlier in this episode, he admits to having like lost all of them. And he calls them a motley crew. He's talking, he and Will take like a scenic walk by a lake. Oh, yeah. Or before they're about to leave the planet. Yeah. And he's like, yeah, I started to feel like I had a crew again. I was getting them together. They're like, all of them are way more damaged than y'all ever were, (laughs) which is kind of a nod to just like the changing world that we're in. Michael Chabon has talked about how this is like not the world of next generation. Things are hard. People are dealing with stuff. And it's way it's like way different than Gene Roddenberry's created universe where like 
never deal with mental illness anymore. But is that a really a human story now? Not really. I mean, it was always something that was on the edges. It was just mm. like this dirtiness, like people dealing with money, people dealing with mental illness, people dealing with sickness, people being damaged was always something that happened in like on the away planet, like right. with the one-off characters. And then like we returned to our idyllic humanity that was like living within the Federation on like their magic ship. Mm -hmm. And this story is definitely about those other parts of the galaxy that we've only seen glimpses of. Humans are messy. The universe yeah. is full of messiness. And I think that's that's real. And I appreciate that we're telling stories in that place despite how much I want to rail against it and be like, just bring me back to when everything is always good and it's okay. I mean, I'm glad to know that we can still have pizza and chocolate cake. Yes. Uh, yes. Yeah. So I've got, yeah, I've got not a whole lot else to say uh, about this episode. I, I'm not really sure what's gonna happen i guess they have to they have to go rescue all of her clone sisters that i'm assuming exist they gotta get to the planet with the two red moons and the, the all the lightning and they somehow have to get there before sister incest and dr fuckboy yes yeah will q come back will q come back is dr nunian soon a secret android Ooh. these are the things i i that keep me up at night Oh, yeah. do we have shout outs? We have shout outs. Oh my God, we do have shout outs. Yes, I have a shout out. It is to our newest Podvan subscriber, Patricia. Yay, Thank Patricia. you for subscribing. You're so awesome. We love you. Live long and prosper. Let us know what you want to talk about. Yeah. You guys are a, a relatively small audience for a bonus episode, so we can be swayed. Yeah, we're having ideas like we want to talk about maybe about The Good Place, or we want to talk about The Purge, or we yes. want to talk about that episode of The Black Mirror that's like Star Trek derived, or we want to talk about The Orville, maybe. Like, yeah. we've got ideas. Tell us what you want. You want to talk about The Orville. I don't really want to watch The Orville, but I feel like people have been telling me that I should. So a new podcast just launched called Star Trek and the Jews. Mm. So if you liked our two episodes where we talked about Jews and Star Trek. I was um, going to say Jew stuff. Jew stuff. <laughs> Jew track. If you like Jew track, it's really cool. The first episode that covers the show really covers a Voyager episode in which Balana Balana has like Klingon Yom Kippur, which I found to be like a very compelling argument. Mm. They're pretty great. Check them out. They come out once a month. And my cousin also launched a podcast called Selling the Scream, which is about horror films scary movies mm. his name is josh he's super smart um i also wanted to thank our reviewer i'm not sure i think it's aka made a guy or a comet guy mm. um but we got a really really great review that i'm so happy about that i keep like posting pictures of and uh it made me really happy and thank you so much yeah I thank you like so you much the, the review like fills my heart with joy and if you want to fill our hearts with joy, you can write us a review on Apple Podcasts uh -huh. um, or on any other platform. If those platforms have reviews, I'm not really sure, but, you know, we appreciate it. Just if you're enjoying this podcast, just, you know, tell your friends. Yeah. Tell a friend. Word of mouth really helps. Mm -hmm. I got nothing else. So I will say live long and prosper. Peace and long life. Intertractional is a production of Federation and Fempire, written and produced by Ryan Ascalese and Becca Motola Barnes. Original music by Danny Kavka. 
Follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at Intertractional. We want to hear from you. Join our Facebook group to discuss this episode with us and other fans. Email us at intertractional at gmail.com. You can even send us a voice memo. Visit our website at intertractional.com for show notes, images, and citations. Intertractional is available on all podcast platforms, including Apple Podcasts. If you like this podcast, you can help others find it by taking a moment to rate and review us and subscribe on Apple Podcasts. It really, really helps. You can donate to us at paypal.me slash federation and fempire or you can become a member of our member feed on podfan that is pod.fan slash intertractional phil hartman is like these are headphones in the industry we call them cans cans (laughs) nice when you take them off you can put them around your neck